This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, I will start a series of talks on foundations. I don't think these talks will be in order. I'll sort of spread them out over the coming months. But this will be the first in a series of talks about the idea of foundational understandings in Scripture. Before I get into that, I want to remind you that if you have any questions for me, if you have any ideas about what I could talk about, any suggestions, any criticism, feel free to send me a note at ancientpaths.cantrell.cc. I'd love to hear from you, and I do want to serve as best I can, so please give me some feedback so I can meet the needs that folks have. Also, if you're interested in going back through previous episodes of the podcast, perhaps the better way to do that is on the YouTube channel, where I've organized all the talks according to playlists. It's pretty easy to go back and hunt around and search for different topics or different series that I've spoken on. And I would especially encourage you to listen to the series on the covenants, if you haven't done that before or if you don't really remember much about it, because that teaching and now my understanding about the covenants is really, really important and very, very helpful. And before I get into the topic of foundations, I want to look at something that John said in John chapter 20. And I think it's wonderful that John told us why he wrote down what he did, why he took the time to write the book of John. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 30, John writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm just really glad that John <laughs> wrote that. As a matter of fact, John does something similar when he writes that what we know is 1 John. And he tells us also why he did that. He says in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we've heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John is writing so that we would have fellowship, spiritual fellowship with the body of Christ. And John is writing because it's a joy to him to share the truths of God. And there in John chapter 20, in the book of John, he says he's written these things so that, and there are two reasons here that he says, that people would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They would really believe it. And that by believing, people would have life in his name. And I'll mirror that now. The purpose of this talk, and actually of this entire podcast, is to encourage you more and more to really have a deep abiding faith that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, and that by believing, you and I would have life. We would have real, abundant, eternal life. 
And may our faith increase as we die to ourselves and submit to him who holds these keys of life. The Bible uses a variety of word pictures, metaphors, to describe the character of Jesus and how he relates to his people. It's wonderful the way the scripture uses poetic language, simile, and metaphor to describe and reveal to us who he is, his character, and how he relates to us. And a few of those metaphors or word pictures are the vine and the branches, which encompasses the flow of life from the vine through the branches so that the branches bear fruit. Another image is living water, this refreshing flow of life. Another image is the bread of life, that Jesus is the bread of life, this life-giving sustenance. Jesus is called a door, a gate. (laughs) And I've said it before, you probably remember me saying it. People will ask, do you believe the Bible literally? And I have to say no, because I don't believe that Jesus is literally a slab of wood on hinges. However, I do believe that he is a door. He's the door. He's the only way to the Father. He is the way to move from this world into the kingdom. He is that gate. So it's true. It is true. And we believe it to be true. Another word picture uh, or an image that is used is the sower and the seed, where the seed rises up. And if it's not choked out or dries up, then it bears good fruit. Of course, there's the image of a shepherd and the flock. And there's the image of Jesus as a a stone, a rock. And actually, that's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, of God being a rock and a refuge, of the Lord being a stone. And I was looking through some old files on my computer, and I found a list that I wrote down about 20 years ago. And I think it might have been the beginning of an outline for chapters in a book that I was considering. I don't really remember why I wrote all these things down. But the list was called Foundations. And these are foundational understandings that the Lord has put in my life. And I very often stand on them, and I push off of these foundations, and I depend on them to keep me steady and in the right place spiritually. And as I looked through this list, I was pretty encouraged that what I wrote down about 20 years ago still continue to be foundational. And many of those things have been mentioned in the podcast, of course. You would expect that. So I'll return to some of the things that you've heard quite a bit. But before I talk about my personal foundation stones, I want to take a look at what the Bible says about foundations. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 28, starting in verse 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Well, what is a cornerstone? It's mentioned here, a cornerstone that is set in place for a sure foundation. And cornerstones aren't used very much today. Nowadays, when people build buildings, they usually pour a concrete foundation. And they don't really have a stone, individual stones as foundation stones. 
Uh, cornerstone is the first stone that is laid down in a foundation and it's on the corner and so its placement determines the location of the building because everything is laid out from this cornerstone the cornerstone determines the depth of the foundation the orientation of the entire building because it's at the corner and so the walls run off in different directions it determines how the building is oriented in space it's the very first part of a building that begins that process of raising up a building on the foundations and this scripture from Isaiah chapter 28 is quoted by Peter in the New Testament and this is in 1st Peter chapter 2 let's see what Peter has to say that fills in our understanding of Isaiah chapter 28 First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to those who believe, this is continuing in verse 7, Now to those who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, then he quotes another scripture, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And another reference, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. I'll point out a few things here as we're talking about foundations and the revelation of Jesus as a stone. All of those other word pictures that I mentioned earlier included life. There was the flow of life from the vine to the branches, the living water, the bread of life, the sower and the seed, the shepherd and the flock, and then the rock, which you would think is dead, and yet here Peter says he's a living stone, and we also are like living stones. Another thing that I'll point out here is this last bit that Peter writes here in First Peter. He referenced when he was speaking to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And this is the stone, the living stone, that religious leaders had rejected, had become the capstone, the ultimate act of completion in the work of God. That's what a capstone is. It's the last stone set in place on a building. The building is finished at that point when the capstone is set in place. And here Jesus is both the cornerstone and the capstone. And it's interesting that very early in his ministry, Peter understood this very clearly when he boldly spoke to the Sanhedrin. And so when I was preparing this talk, I thought, well, maybe this is one of Peter's foundational understandings of the Word of God, that people will reject Jesus, and yet he is the capstone. Another thing that I'll point out here is something that's so very, very important for us to understand. We don't go to church. We are the church. The Lord is building us to be a spiritual household. Under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, 
we have to remember there was only one place on the face of the earth where God's people could go to offer their sacrifices. There was only one temple, the place that God chose, the place of God's presence on earth. That was in Jerusalem. There was only one place where people could go to offer their sacrifices. Under the new covenant, God's temple is located wherever his people are. His people are the temple. Isn't that amazing? His people, we, are the living stones that make up his holy household. That's so important. We don't go to church. We are the church. Anyone who trusts in this living stone, this cornerstone, anyone who trusts in him will not be dismayed. They will not be put to shame. There's no shame in waiting on God and trusting in God. Your parents or your friends or yourself even may say, what are you waiting on? It's time to make a decision. Let's just do something, but it's good to trust in the Lord. This is another good lesson that I learned from these scriptures. As a foundation stone, it's good to put our trust in the Lord. There's no shame in trusting God, no shame in waiting on him. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, we get a little bit more of a view of this understanding of Christ as the cornerstone. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Uh, It's really wonderful that Peter, the apostle to the Jews, and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, understand this very, very well and see exactly the same thing that we are being built into the holy temple in the Lord. We are being built together as a people to become that dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's what the church is. Again, we don't go to church. We are the church. We don't have to travel to Jerusalem to go to the temple of God. We are the temple of God. It's amazing. And Christ himself is the cornerstone. Christ himself determines the location. Christ himself determines the direction. He determines the depth of the foundations. From him, this whole temple, this building of God rises up. And the scripture says that in him, the whole building is joined together. In him, the whole building rises up to become a holy temple to the Lord. In Christ, we too are being built up to become that dwelling place for the Spirit of God. We are living stones. We're living stones in the spiritual building that Jesus himself begins because he is the cornerstone. And he ends it because he is the capstone. Christ is the beginning and the end. He's the cornerstone and the capstone. He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So as we talk about foundations in the scriptures, we have to understand that Christ himself is the cornerstone. Not his teachings, not his philosophies, not his ideas, but he himself is the cornerstone. So, I'll talk here about a couple of these foundation stones for me, foundational understandings that God laid down very early in my life as a believer. And remember, I became a Christian when I was in my late 20s, and so at that time I was very aware that God was doing a new thing in me, and I was learning these fundamental truths, foundational truths. And one of those is one of my very favorite verses in the Bible. And it's not something that Jesus said, but it's something that shows us how people responded to what he said. At the very end of Matthew chapter 7, which is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's, it's just one of my favorite parts of the scripture. Verse 28 of Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Uh, When I read that, very early on as a believer, it really, really stood out to me. When Jesus had finished saying the Sermon on the Mount, people were amazed because he taught with authority and not like the teachers that they were used to hearing. That was the response when they heard Jesus speak. And I liken it to in television or in films, movies, when they show fireworks in a night sky. The camera will look up at the night sky and you see these fireworks exploding in the sky and it's really beautiful. And then the camera turns and it shows the faces of the people looking up at the fireworks. And their faces are full of joy and wonder. They're smiling and they're happy. And you can see that light of the fireworks reflected off their faces as they look up with happiness and wonder. And what do we see on the faces of those who listen to Jesus? That's what these scriptures are to me. We've been looking at Jesus. He's been teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And then the camera turns to the faces of the people. And they are amazed. That's what we see on the faces of those who listen to Jesus. They're amazed. Wow. They're in awe. Perhaps they're surprised. Wow. And why is that? Because he taught with true authority. And he taught with an authority that was unlike their teachers ever had. And they were amazed at it. A man who spoke with authority. Well, why is this a foundation for me? Well, I have to remember that Jesus has authority. When he speaks, he's not giving good advice. When he says, don't worry about your life, your father knows what you need before you ask him, he's not offering advice that we can take or leave. He's actually giving a commandment. He's revealing the truth of the way God has created the world and the way God relates to his people. Do not worry about your life. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I have to remember, whenever I read the Word of God, that Word has authority. 
and I must submit to that authority. Soon after I became a believer, I guess I, I will use the phrase born again because I was very aware of a new life inside me, but my mind had not been renewed yet. I knew God was doing a work in my spirit, and I attended a Bible study on the book of Ephesians soon after I was born again. And as we went through the book of Ephesians, there were some things that I saw as we were studying it that I realized, I believe that's true, but a week ago I didn't believe that was true. So I knew that God was doing a new thing in me. But then there were other things in the book of Ephesians that I thought, well, I don't believe that. (laughs) Just reading the Bible, I thought, I don't think that's true. How could that be so? And I realized that I was judging God's Word according to my understanding. That as I was studying the Bible, I was determining what I would agree with and what I didn't agree with. And I came to James chapter 4, right about that time. And James says, in verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4, When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Verse 12, There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and destroy. And when I read that, I realized that I was judging. I was putting myself above the Word of God and judging it. And so I learned very early on that I should not sit in judgment of the Word of God. I should not decide which parts I like and which parts I don't like. I shouldn't determine which parts are true and which parts are not true. I shouldn't choose what I'll submit to and what I'll discard. It's not my place to judge the Word of God. I am not the lawgiver. I am not the judge. And Jesus speaks with authority. And we have to put ourselves under authority. And right now, I see in the church globally a lawlessness that is prevalent in leadership, where people who are in positions of leadership in churches, and I'm talking about bishops and priests and preachers and teachers, they determine what they think is true, and they put themselves above the Word of God. And it's pretty evident that that's happening. But we have to remember it's not our place to judge the Word of God. We are to submit to it. And I hope that I could have the same response that people had when they first heard Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount. That's amazing. Jesus has authority. Of course, we have to remember, to them, this was early on in the ministry, and he's a carpenter from Nazareth, and then he starts teaching with the authority of God. Uh, It was amazing. It really is something. So let's keep that in mind. And that's why it's a foundation stone for me. The Lord has authority. Well, the next foundation stone that I want to share is not actually a scripture. It's a story that was told to me by a dear friend. His name is David Hulley. He was an elder at a church for many, many years. And early on in my time overseas, so this was almost 25 years ago, I guess now, uh, Dave told me this story, and it really touched me deeply and helped me. And now I think back when he shared it to me, I realize he saw the need and saw what I was going through. He saw what I needed to hear, and he shared the story with me. Uh, And he didn't dwell on it too much. He just shared the story and let it do its work in me. 
So one time Dave was at an elders meeting, and they had an agenda of items to go through, the leaders of the church, and time began to run short, and um, it was getting late, and the elders wanted to go home, be with their kids, and so they decided to quickly move through the items in the agenda. And this happens often. We've got a lot of things to do. We're running out of time. Let's just clip through things pretty quickly and just settle these issues, these bullet points. And so they started moving through the agenda quickly because they want to be home, be with their families, as I said. And David said to them, Brothers, we have to stop this meeting because we have moved from discernment to negotiation. And that has helped me so much over the years. That these church leaders, godly men, just wanted to get through things quickly, and they moved from discernment to negotiation. And David was so right, that meeting needed to end. The role of leaders in a church, the role of members of a church, is not to negotiate among ourselves what we think might be the best option or to find common ground with one another. Our role is not to decide what's the best option or the best hopeful outcome and then vote on it. Our role is to discern the will of God and then choose obedience to be the body of Christ on earth, we must discern the will of God and then obey it, put it into practice. Remember, Jesus said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. Another place he said, the words I say are not my own, they're the words of the Father. So what Jesus said and what he did was fully dependent on the revelation of the will of the Father. That's how Jesus, the Word, the living Word of God, who is God, submitted himself to the will of the Father. He perfectly did that at every step of his ministry all through his life. He was sinless. He never stepped out of the will of the Father. That complete unity and agreement is so very important it's revealed to us in the character of God, this unity of love and submission, obedience. Again, our role is not to decide what's best. Our role is to discern the will of God. Some listeners are going through a transition. Big decisions are ahead of you. An unknown future looms up ahead. I encourage you, it's not your job to decide what to do. Your role is to discern to listen. Uh, Jeremiah 6.16 is quoted at the beginning of every one of these episodes. Stand at the crossroads and look, ask God for the good way, and then walk in it. Discern what is the will of God. And may we never move from discernment to negotiation. This understanding has been put into practice in the ministry, of which I'm a part right now, um, it's called Stoneworks International, and it's called Stoneworks based on 1 Peter 2.5, which we just read, that God sets us together like living stones. And so we're called Stoneworks because God is working in us as living stones. And as a leadership team, we decided at the very beginning of the foundation of the ministry that all of our decisions would be made in complete unanimity. We'll never take a vote. 
until we have complete agreement, 100% agreement on any question that comes before us. So this is an example of putting this into practice. We as a leadership team are not trying to negotiate among ourselves what we think ought to happen. We are working to discern what is the Lord saying to us as a group of believers who are involved in ministry. And we won't act until we have agreement. And that's part of discerning the will of God is that we have agreement among people that know the Lord and are living by the Spirit and are submitted to each other. There have been a few times when I came to the leadership of the ministry, and I'm the executive director currently, I would come with an idea, hey, we should do this, let's do this, and I'd be all excited about it, and yeah, this is what we're going to do, this will be wonderful, and I bring it to the board, and one or two people may say, well, I'm not quite so sure about that, we need to wait a little bit, and it really would chafe me, <laughs> because I'm I'm thinking, wow, this is the thing, this is great, but these brothers and sisters to whom I submit, if they don't have complete clarity about it or unanimity or agreement with me, then I need to wait. I need to wait until we have agreement. And actually one of those big projects that I thought surely we would do, we had to set it aside, and that was years ago now, <laughs> probably five or six years ago. We just never had agreement about it. So I had to let it go because the unity is more important than the activity. And this role that we have to discern the will of God and not negotiate among ourselves is a priority to us. That's why it's a foundation to me. And I hope it's a foundation to you now that you've heard the story. May we never, ever move from discernment to negotiation. Well, in closing, I just have a few thoughts here. What are the foundations that the Lord has laid in your life. Can you sit down with a piece of paper? I don't even know if people do that anymore. Can you sit down at a keyboard with an iPad and write down a list of the foundations that God has set for you? Perhaps he's laying foundation stones right now as you listen to what I'm saying. Perhaps some of the things that I've shared are touching you in your heart. I encourage you, Don't despise what God is doing. If you feel a stirring in your heart, either something that I'm sharing or a stirring in your heart to write down the foundations or to seek out the foundation stones that God is laying for you, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) It's good because when the storms come, when the rain comes down and the wind blows and when everything is beating against your life, These foundations, doing the will of God, knowing it and doing it, will keep you strong. It will keep you from falling. And remember that Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Not his teachings, not his philosophy, but him personally. He is the cornerstone. And to paraphrase John chapter 20, I'll say that God has laid other foundations in my life, which I've not discussed here. But I share these so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.